What up, world? Welcome back to an on-demand, very special episode of Lockdown Blazers. I am your pass-first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. This podcast comes to you especially from at Wednesdays here on Twitter. He wanted this one to happen, so we're doing it for him. So here we are. Saturday afternoon. Came out the sun to record one for you, but I uh, just stayed up too late last night after a wild, wild game. Here's why it was so damn late. It started at 7.30, a reasonable time for a Friday night game to start. And it went two and a half hours. We had 205 minutes of basketball, four overtimes. The first four overtime NBA playoff game since 1953. It was epic. The last two Blazer games I've attended ended in a 37-foot buzzer, series-ending buzzer beater and a four-overtime thriller. Real quick, let's go to Terry Stotts to figure out what the hell happened. I have no idea what happened in the first half or the second half or the first three overtimes. Rodney Hood came in and played great. It was a hell of a game. I've never been involved in a game like that. The Blazers lost this game like a million times. They won this game like a million times. And then when the dust finally settled, four full overtime periods after the fourth quarter ended in a tie, Rodney Hood won this game for him. I think that's probably too simple. Rodney Hood didn't just win this game for him, but he had the biggest plays. Uh, both coaches decided to ride their starters the whole overtime period. Uh, interestingly enough, probably like two years ago, I uh, was just chatting with Terry off the cuff before a game, and I said one of the things I don't totally agree that NBA coaches do is they always ride their starters in overtime. They'll just they'll just go with the guys that got them there, and he he kind of explained, uh, you know, you you not only do you want to just trust your you know your best players on the court in the mo- in the most crucial moments that overtime isn't long enough to buy anybody meaningful rest, and even more so sometimes bringing a guy in cold off the bench is is challenging. Well, he really took that one to the extreme, and so did Mike Malone. Both those guys rode an exhausted group of starters, three full overtimes. And then, probably lucky for Terry Stotts, Mo Harkless, who came into the game questionable with a right ankle injury, started cramping up with two minutes to go in the fourth overtime. Mo had played 45 minutes on a bum ankle that many people thought would keep him out of game three. Instead, he played 45 minutes was fantastic. But after that 45 minutes, he started to cramp up. Terry Stotts was forced to make a change. He was forced to do it. He probably got lucky. Rodney Hood came in. His second offensive possession in the game. He nailed a 14-foot pull-up. Tied the game at 133. The Blazers' following possession. Hood scored again. To put them up 134, 135 with 45 seconds left. And then after Paul Millsap, who was, he, I don't think Paul was uh, maybe as assertive as he could have been, but it seemed like every time the Nuggets needed a big shot late in the game, Millsap was there. He put the, he put the Nuggets back up one with 28 seconds left, 27 seconds left. Blazers have the ball, you know, a full. The Nuggets are now have a two-for-one and end the lead. C.J. McCollum misses a tough 17-foot step back, but he grabs his own rebound because he knew it was short because the Blazers have been short on everything for like an hour at this point. We had an hour of them shooting short jump shots. 
grabbed his rebound cleanly in the air, fires it past back to Rodney Hood. Hold on. Let's actually let CJ explain this one. You know, I see him at the corner of my eye when I rose, and I was like, okay, if I do miss this, it's probably going to come back to me. So I follow, and I jump, and right when I jump, I look, and I was like, oh, I got excited, so I was like, trying to throw it as fast as possible. And when he pump faked it, I was like, uh-oh. And again, he, he sized up and cashed out. I was like, big, big shot, like, we needed that, because I don't know what's going to happen. And then we stretch out, four for four overtime. That's right, Rodney Hood, pump fake, sidesteps, and cashed out. Blazers lead by two. Nikola Jokic on the other end splits a pair of free throws. Seth Curry ices the game at the line. Well, not really. He just put them up three, making it hard. Denver, without a timeout, has to launch the ball the length of the floor. CJ picks it off, and two and a half hours after this bad boy started, the Blazers survived. Take a 2-1 series lead. Win a game that felt like more than one game. Uh, A couple smarter people than me have pointed out on Twitter that historically in the playoffs following multi-overtime games, uh, the loser does not necessarily always lose. It's not like these games always, always end with sort of like debilitating, back-breaking type of uh, mental defeats. But it certainly felt like that when I left the Moda Center on Friday night, very late, I guess early Saturday morning. Just to give you guys, here's why I didn't record this podcast until the middle of the afternoon on Saturday. Well, I wasn't going to record it anyways, but again, at Wednesdays here on Twitter, got it done for y'all. So uh, tweet at your boy if you're appreciating this podcast. He really did it. But the interviews didn't end until 1220, so uh, it was late at night. Uh, I think it's super corny when journalists complain about how hard they work and how late they stay up. That is part of the job. Normal people work during the day. Journalists work during at night. Suck it up, losers. But yeah, it was late at night and I was tired. I'm complaining about it. I'm a whiny. I'm whiny. I wanted a Saturday off. It's incredibly beautiful in Portland. So I was taking Saturday off. Blazers are going to take Saturday off too. There was so much that happened in this game that just recapping the last two minutes, I felt like it was a little bit too much play-by-play. But let me give you some other just sort of things that happened. In the first three overtime periods, Blazers not named CJ McCollum, not named Damian Lillard, had zero points. Damon CJ saved the Blazers in the first three overtimes. It's kind of about role players early. I don't think Dame played particularly well in regulation. But in overtime, he had some big, big layups in that, I believe, was the third overtime to keep that game alive. CJ was fantastic. He had 28 points in the fourth quarter and four overtimes. Finished with 41. He only had 13 through three quarters. He was just a monster. CJ has been a star in this playoffs. An absolute star. Nikola Jokic played 65 minutes. Mo Harkless was the last Blazers interview of the night, and he was doing his interview, and I, he was kept peeking down at the box score right below him. And I said, I asked this, uh, I don't know if it was still on TV at this point, it's very late at night, but I, but I asked this like in front of the, on the podium, you know, uh, Mo, what do you keep looking at? Like, what are, you, what are you peeking at on there? And he just says, 65 minutes, man, that's crazy. Uh, Jokic, by all accounts, Played the most minutes a seven-footer has ever played in a playoff game or maybe any NBA game. Dude was awesome, but so clearly gassed. That's why I mentioned both coaches kind of riding with their guys at the end of that. Uh, at the end of that overtime or the end of the, all the overtimes, the end of the game, because like Jokic was so clearly gassed, Dame was so clearly tired, could not get any lift on his jump shot. CJ was fantastic, but had a couple just 
obvious ones. Dame missed an airballed on open layup in transition. And his Cantor airballed a wide open putback that he could have made. And then fresh legs came and saved the day. Rodney Hood came and saved the day. It has been one hell of a playoffs for Neil Olshay. Uh, people banged on Neil Olshay probably rightly all last year and all summer long. But my man has come up big with some decisions he has made. I don't know if I should call him my man. The man. That that gentleman has come up with some pretty big with some decisions he's made. Uh, getting Ennis Cantor off the scrap heap. I want to talk a bunch about Cantor in the second segment. But getting Ennis Cantor to sign after he'd been waived has saved the Blazers' season. Getting Rodney Hood for two guys who weren't involved in the Blazers' rotation and a couple future second-round picks. That is a pretty good-looking trade. That's what it looks like right now. Uh, Seth Curry, you know, he, he didn't really do anything, but he, he did have two free throws to ice the game, four overtimes. It's a nice little free agent signing by Neil. So uh, all you Neil haters, get it while you can, because I think um, I think the narrative is going to change on the former Screen Actors Guild card holder Neil Olshay. All right, second segment, I want to talk all about Ennis Cancer. I want to talk a little bit about Mo Harkless, and I want to talk a lot about Nikola Jokic and boxing out and why everybody on the internet is mad. But before I do that, I want to remind you guys, when you get in your car, tell your smart device, play podcast Locked on Blazers. Make it a part of your daily routine. Make it a part of your commute. I guess if you're listening to this on Saturday, just make it a part of something you're doing while driving around and enjoying a day off. Or if you work on Saturdays, which I know some of y'all do, You know, pop this in your headphones while you're going to work or pop this on your smart car while you're going to work. Enjoy it that way. Tell your smart device when you get in your car, play podcast Lockdown Blazers. All right, so we talked about Rodney Hood, fresh legs, and we got some sound in that first segment. Second segment, I want to talk about what was going on with Ennis Cantor, what's going on with Nikola Jokic, and what the internet is mad about on a Saturday. Derby day, y'all enjoy it. Don't be mad about don't be mad about stuff on on a derby day. No, nah, I don't know. You can be mad about stuff whenever. I don't I don't care. So uh, as I walked into the locker room uh, last night, the first person who walked out right before I went in, and this is never a good sign, is Jess Ellis. For those of you who don't know, that is the Blazers' director of player health and performance. That's the doctor, y'all. You see Jess Ellis walk out of the locker room. You know someone in there is not having a good night. That someone was Ennis Cantor, who was wrapped in a giant ace bandage on his left arm, another little uh, bandage on his right arm for he said he got a bursa, like a little uh, like fluid sack from friction, for those of you who don't want to WebMD that yourself. Uh, that He said he got that diving for a loose ball out of bounds. He landed hard on his elbow. But who cares about the elbow? That that is, that is bumps and bruises compared to what's happening with this separated left shoulder. Ennis said during the first overtime he thinks he re-separated or further separated that left shoulder. And he had to tuck his jersey, literally tuck his arm into his jersey to run down the floor. He said it was numb for most of the last three overtimes. And yet my dude played 56 minutes with one arm and battled with Jokic. Can play canter. Can play one-armed canter, I guess. He's been really good, man. He's done some cantery type things. He's done some just, and by that I mean just like being, getting buckets and getting offensive rebounds and, and playing to his strengths. But he's also played good enough defense to survive in these games. And I didn't think he was capable of that. So hats off to Ennis Cantor. But my man was, in the locker room, was groaning 
Um, I'm not going to play you that audio because it's just so much Ennis Cantor going, ugh, in between questions. Um, you don't want to hear that. You probably didn't even want to hear me do that, and I apologize. Yeah, but Ennis was just, he was in so much pain. For whatever reason, he chose to stand up and do the interview. He was, he was like shirtless and in his, uh, in his shorts, like he hadn't changed or whatever when the media got in there because he he'd probably just gone, gotten some sort of post-game treatment and he was messed up. You know, if you re-separated an already separated shoulder, you can imagine how messed up he was. But he's uh, he decides to stand up to do the interview. Uh, both Casey Holdall and I were like, yo, man, you can sit. You can sit. It doesn't matter. He chose to stand up. Uh, he, he just, um, he didn't complain about this in front of us, but he did then. So, you know, so he says, my arm is, my arm is, was, you know, totally numb the whole time. I can't really feel it right now. Um, I don't know if I'll be able to play on Sunday. And then he says, I'll take some painkillers. I'll be ready to play on Sunday. I'll be fine. Like in the same breath. Uh, I use that quote on NBC sports or, uh, yeah. NBC sports.com slash Northwest. Check out a story I wrote about game three on that fine website. When you get a chance. But Cantor didn't complain about this in front of us. He did complain a lot about being hurt and about how he had to sacrifice and how everyone's got to sacrifice and how proud he was of his teammates for being in this position, yada, yada, yada. But then he took to, uh, took to social media today to complain about this one clip that has been circulating. Uh, it's not on my timeline, but if you're a Twitter person, you can find this. If you're not, a, if you're not um, you know, Google Jokic box out or something like that, you'll be able to find it. But it's this clip that's been going around where uh, it's just a, a, a very brief shot of Nikola Jokic kind of uh, loading up and swinging into Cantor's left shoulder in a very aggressive box out uh, in, early in the game. I, I don't think this is like a crunch time moment. I think this was like 341 left in the second quarter when this happened. Um. So Cantor didn't like it. He thought that he, he even, uh, in a real Ennis Cantor fashion, he tweeted out a picture of him laying on the medical table saying whatever it takes. And then he added the refs on Twitter and said, someone look into this. Talking about the Jokic video. My man is active online. He is this generation's center. He's a poster, an active poster. Blazers probably got the two most active internet posters between injured Nurkic and Ennis Cantor in the league. There is no center rotation that is more online and Cantor, and Nurk. But I, I hate that that officiating and, and whether Jokic is dirty is part of this series, but like it or not, it is. It's something we have to talk about. That's why I'm spending airtime doing it right now. My read on it is that it's not... Not I know the Blazers are super pissed and think it's dirty. I should just say that. Uh, Terry Stotts didn't use the word dirty, but he said uncalled for in a, in a conference call with the media. And I know they were mad about it after the game. Can, can, I, I just, um, from, a, from the reporting I did following the game, they were not happy about that specific moment. Uh, well before, not well before, but at least before it was like an internet thing. But I guess my read on it is that I don't necessarily think that that's Jokic trying to take out Cantor's shoulder and like say uh do the sort of new orleans saints um once you take out his acl he becomes human bounty gate greg williams thing uh i i more think that's just Jokic doing being unnecessarily physical because that's how he plays he weighs 285 pounds he's seven feet tall and part of his advantage is not athleticism it's that every single time that you play against him you have to deal with him weighing 285 pounds and being seven feet tall you're going to feel him 
Kevin Pelton pointed out that he watched every other uh, box out that Jokic had on free throws during the game. Kevin Pelton of ESPN.com. And that all of them were very similar to that. And so it's and, and he, did, he didn't just do it against Cantor. He did, he did it against Zach Collins. He did it against Cantor's right shoulder when they were on the other end of the court or facing the other way, other end of the lane. So my read on it is that it, it is Cantor being unnecessarily physical, but it's not in a sort of this malicious, I'm going to injure you, I know you're hurt type of way. And don't get me wrong, Nikola Jokic knows that Enes Cantor is hurt. That, he's, that is not, he's not oblivious to that information. But I think he's just saying, I weigh 285 pounds, and if you want to rock with the big boys, you're going to have to deal with me hitting you every single time on these free throws. He's being intentionally physical, not intentionally malicious. That's my read on it. NBA's not going to do anything about it. I mean, they might make a statement or whatever, um, but and maybe I'll be wrong, but this isn't like a suspension or a fine type of thing. This is just like a maybe like a point of emphasis in the next games. Unfortunately, it's a talking point, but that's life. Uh, before we get to the third segment, just real quick, <laughs> let me read off the numbers totals of starters on both teams. Alfaruq Camino 46, Mo Harkless 45, Ennis Cantor 56, Damian Lillard 58, CJ McCollum 60, an hour of basketball for CJ. On the Nuggets side, Paul Millsap 49, Will Barton off the bench 39, Nikola Jokic 65, wild, Jamal Murray 55, Gary Harris 50. Embrace this incredible game. This, sh- this game should be more about how absolutely bonkers it was and less about a weird box out thing and whether Nikola Jokic is dirty player it should be a celebration of just an absolutely wild four overtime affair but that ain't the life we live in third segment i'll uh, empty the noggin on a couple things and apologize for some stuff i've got wrong over the week keep rocking all right welcome back still locked on blazer still mike richmond okay first and foremost Shout out to my dude, Cody Workla on Twitter. He pointed out to me that all week long, I have been calling Malik Beasley DeMarcus Beasley. That's incredible. That is truly, truly incredible. Uh, DeMarcus Beasley, for those of you who don't know, is a former U.S. men's national team soccer player and current MLS player, I think. I don't really follow the MLS. But yeah, he's, um, he has 126 caps. 17 goals for the U.S. national team to Marcus Beasley. Unfortunately, that gentleman does not play for the Nuggets. That is Malik Beasley. So my bad, Cody, and my bad, Malik. My bad. That's what happens when you don't have a co-host. You can say dumb stuff, and there is no one here to give you that look like, hey, Mike, you blew it. So don't make it a habit of telling me I blew stuff on Twitter. But, you know, if I do it three times in a row on three consecutive podcasts, I think Cody was in the right to tell me, hey, dog. You got it wrong, you, and you kept getting it wrong, and no one's here to help you, and someone needs to help you. So thanks, Cody, and apologies to Malik Beasley. Another thing a lot of you guys have been tweeting at me about is I mentioned in passing in the series preview that uh, Evan Turner and Terry Stotts don't like each other. Um, I think you guys are looking for sort of more, more juicy details to that than there are. Uh, Jason Quick wrote a, a really nice profile of Evan Turner. Uh, it was about Evan Turner's uh, sort of getting his body right thanks to his private chef and his love of art. Uh, but it also included just a, a, a passage in there about how Evan was has been sort of over his career here a little bit confused about his usage with the Blazers. Uh, felt like he was always a point guard and them trying to put him on the wing was not a good fit. 
So that's when I say Evan doesn't like Terry, I, I think, or Evan doesn't like Stotts. I think what I mean is like Evan feels like he's being used a little bit wrong. And also Evan doesn't play very much, which is um, maybe a sign that Terry doesn't really uh, like his skill set or trust his game. Terry is very much a trust coach. That's how you play for him. You earn his trust. Hence Myers Leonard doesn't, hasn't played for five years. So yeah, it follows that an NBA player who doesn't play much is getting paid $18 million, wants to play more. It follows that a coach who likes a player wouldn't leave him buried on the bench. So I don't think there's not a lot of juice to it. This is just obvious stuff. Um, and the sort of like, if you're looking for the juiciest quotes, they're in that story that Jason Quick wrote. It is behind the paywall on The Athletic. You should pay for it. Pay for journalists to do their jobs or they won't have jobs anymore. Okay, so I touched on this a little bit in the first segment, but I want to talk about it again. Because to me, this seemed like a series-ending knockout blow. And Sunday's game starts at 4 p.m. That game ended at, you know, 11 p.m. at night on Friday. It was grueling dudes, as I read off in the end of that second segment. All these dudes played like an hour of basketball. Today is a day for, as Zanis Cantor put it, it's going to be in the cold tub. It's going to take some painkillers. It's going to pray to God. <laughs> Sounds like a great Saturday. <laughs> but, I, but I think more than, uh, more than how Ennis Cantor spends his leisure time or recovery time, I guess, in his case. Uh, I, I just think how, how much can Jamal Murray, who's been dealing with that thigh issue and that shoulder issue, and he was really, really, really good in this game. How quickly can he recover? How quickly is he ready to go after playing 55 minutes? Nikola Jokic, everyone's obsessed with like what kind of shape he's in. Dude played 65 minutes. I think he's in pretty good shape. But how much juice does he have? Because he's really got to carry the load for the Nuggets. Uh, he only took six shots in the first half. Three of them came on one possession. He missed a shot, tipped him, tipped a shot, missed that one, got his own rebound, scored. So he really took like he really had like four shooting possessions in the first half. I think for the Nuggets to win. He just has to do more. And that takes a lot of energy, mental and uh, physical. And I think maybe more so than the mental toll because the recovery stuff in the NBA, these guys are incredible. It's just like, what, is, there a, is there a mental hangover from a loss like this to the Nuggets? Uh, Michael Singer of the Denver Post wrote a really good story about how uh, you shouldn't count the Nuggets out because they've specifically been here before, down 2-1 as the favored seed playing game four down two one against the, against the Spurs in the first round. Um, I thought it was a really good story. Michael Singer's a good writer. I recommend you read that Denver post might have a soft paywall, but like I said, pay journalists. It's how they keep their jobs. But uh, the Blazers aren't the Spurs. The Blazers are better than the Spurs. At some point in this series, Damian Lillard's going to have a really good game. I thought he had a good game one, but he turned the ball over six times. I didn't think he had a great game three. I thought he was kind of bad for in regulation. He was crucial at some moments in, in OT. Some of that is the Nuggets just defending him well. But, but I think he's due for a really good game, whether that's in game four or later in the series. And then it's just, if, if the starters are tired, which team's bench can give them more juice? I think we have enough detail, enough data to say that Mason Plumley is like a massive drop-off from Nikola Jokic, so you, you know you need him. I don't think the Blazers can survive too, too many minutes without Dame on the court, so the Stars are going to play. 
I don't think they can survive too many minutes with CJ on the bench either. But I think the Nuggets do have a little bit of advantage because they do have quality players on the bench. Will Barton came in for Troy Craig. He was really good in Game 3. Monty Morris didn't play a ton in Game 3, but he's a very good backup point guard, one of the best in the league. Uh, Malik Beasley, my good friend Malik Beasley. His, name, his first name is Malik. He's pretty good. He's, he's had some nice moments in these games. Nuggets have depth. I think they can survive this game physically because they have depth. I think that's, that's a, a really sort of crucial advantage they might have. Not that the Blazers don't have depth, but just, you know, because Rodney was so good off the bench. Obviously, you know, one of the reasons they won this game is because they have help off the bench. But they're a little more limited, no doubt about it, in my opinion. A little more limited in terms of going sort of deeper into their bench with more combinations. They can they can mix things up, but it's always going to sort of come back to Damon CJ. And for the most part, we've seen Stotts pretty much roll with Ennis Cantor, no matter how uh, well Zach Collins plays in small bursts. So I think Denver does have some, I, I think it's it's reasonable not to totally bury them physically because they do have more options on the bench, particularly on the wings, not at center. Not they're, they, they aren't good when Jokic sits, so he's going to have to play a bunch, and he just played 65 minutes. But my question heading into game three, or excuse me, heading into game four, heading into Sunday afternoon, a 4 p.m. start, shout out to all my journalist friends who were complaining about how late game three went, game four is going to end in the evening, y'all. Now I say this, it's going to go 27 overtimes. But my question isn't physical about the Nuggets, it's more mental. Can they overcome such a gut punch? Like losing a game where they led in a regulation, they led in the first overtime, they led in the second time, overtime, they led in the third overtime. They led in all those scenarios, including up four with like a minute left in the third overtime. Or a minute and a half left. You know, you just, can they overcome it mentally? I think that's the bigger question than physically. Obviously, there will be some physical questions because of how wild the minutes were in this game. But the mental challenge for the Nuggets on the road with their season on the line, you're not coming back from 3-1. Like, you're, you're just not. That's not how this works. Even with two home games, even with home games in 5-7, and seven, I just don't think the Nuggets win three straight over this team. They have to win game four. It should be really fun. And they've got a real sort of mental challenge ahead of them. That's what I'm going to be looking for more on Sunday than anything else. I appreciate you guys listening. I appreciate Wednesdays here on Twitter for getting me out of my backyard and out of the sun and into my podcast studio to record this bad boy. Thanks for the encouragement. Sometimes that's all you need. If you're looking for this podcast, it's on the Himalaya app. It's on Google Podcasts. It's on Apple Podcasts. It's on Stitcher and Spotify. As always, when you get in your car, tell your smart speaker to play podcast, Locked on Blazers. Tell your friends about this podcast. Tell them, it's, tell them that you like it and you enjoy it. If you like it and you enjoy it, that's how I get more listeners. That's how we keep this bad boy rolling. I'll talk to you all after game four. Won't need any encouragement after that one. Appreciate you listening.